This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello there. It's time for Most Things Kenobi. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Most Things Kenobi, a podcast about Obi-Wan Kenobi and all things Star Wars. I'm your host Lauren, and today we have something a little different for you. Last week, Leanne was traveling and didn't have time to record with me, so I dug into our archives and dusted off an interview I did with Jenny Marie Studio that I recorded about a year ago. Jenny's made a name for herself hand-painting glass candle votives. Most of them feature Star Wars scenes, but she's also been known to do Marvel, DC, Lord of the Rings. If you follow me on Instagram, you'll have seen my unboxing video of the custom commission she painted for me, depicting the dark and brutal relationship between Obi-Wan Kenobi and Darth Maul. It is truly a masterpiece. I'm so grateful to own something that is so meaningful and that was created by a dear friend of mine. In this interview, we discuss everything from Jenny's formal art training in Florence, to how the American school system didn't work for our creative brains, to how her teenage love for Luke Skywalker eventually led to her current business venture, Painting Custom Votives. We had a fabulous time recording this and ended up chatting for almost three hours. This is the shortened version. But if you'd like to listen to the full conversation, please consider joining our Patreon, where we post complete interviews, episode extras, and so much more. Before we begin, let me apologize in advance for some of the lousy audio on this episode. It was one of the first interviews I conducted, and I was still learning a lot about podcasting. Even so, I hope you enjoy this conversation with one of Most Things Kenobi's favorite artists, Jenny Marie Studio. You have this beautiful art style that I really, really love and appreciate. It's kind of like a Baroque type art. And I just wanted to ask you, when did you realize you had a passion for art? Because you're so talented. When did that get started for you? (laughs) Well, thank you. Yeah, um, there wasn't really a defining like moment. I have been surrounded by art since I was born basically my grandparents were artists Um, my grandma my grandpa were both sculptors and so we they actually my dad grew up in Laguna Beach California which is (laughs) I almost hate telling people I grew up there now because ever since the tv shows and everything it's kind of painted Laguna as this like hoity-toity you know Mm -hmm. just rich spoiled kids but it was an artist colony like in the 60s and 70s it was like a hippie art colony and my grandparents were starving artists who, you know, drove their family from Illinois, bought a house there, like I said, before it was what it is now. So like my dad went to the same high school that I went to. We eventually moved back to Laguna. Um, I grew up there mostly. And so just because of my grandparents and all my aunts and uncles, basically everyone on my dad's side is artistic. I just was surrounded by art supplies and that was you know, always really encouraged in me. I would say though, like I kind of had a love-hate relationship. I found out pretty early on that I was it feels so weird saying this because I'm so used to being self-deprecating all my life, but <laughs> I am somewhat, I was somewhat naturally good at it. Like I, mm-hmm. I haven't, I had an eye for it. Like I could 
look at something and like replicate, like I'd see where the shadow was, where the light hit, where the, and I could to a certain extent just do that. So mm -hmm. I think, you know, when my parents saw that and because I came from an artist family, everyone just was like, which is really fortunate and that that was, you know, cause you know, creativity and, you know, art is not always encouraged or cultivated yeah. in, in everyone. And I know that I was really lucky and privileged to have all that access to art and for it to be so encouraged in me so yeah like I, I just kind of fell into it but I will say I I loved so I loved art I just I'm a very visual person but I really struggled with the discipline of it I sometimes <laughs> hated art classes because I couldn't sit still for you know three hours I think that's hours. actually really common with creative people that when you try to constrain them into a format or a timetable or put deadlines on them that just mm -hmm. stop being able to be creative. I think that's really common with even some of the like famous painting masters in history. Yeah. I, I became kind of almost like stubborn about it too. Like, because it just felt like I kind of just didn't know what else to do. And, and I don't know, because it was kind of, it wasn't pushed on me by any means, but I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. At a certain point, I remember kind of going away from that. Like, maybe this isn't what, I, like, just because I'm good at something, and it's true, just because you're good at something doesn't mean it's what you want to do. And sure. I don't think I necessarily, I don't even, I don't even remember that. I think there were lots of periods, especially junior high and high school that I didn't even really enjoy it that much. I didn't really want to take classes, but I, you know, I, I loved looking at art. I loved colors, but I just, yeah, I couldn't sit still. I just didn't want, I just wanted to be good at something right away. And if I couldn't paint something perfectly, I didn't want to take the time to learn all the hard and practice, mm -hmm. which is no matter how talented you are, the drive, the dedication, the consistency and practice is super important. And that was something I really struggled with, which is why I think it took me so long. So I would say to, to answer a very long way of answering your question, I would almost say this year, I realized what a passion I have for art. I mean, <laughs> that I, that, oh, wait, I maybe I wow, maybe everyone was right. And it took me, you know, 25, 30 years, but shoot, I guess I am an artist. I guess this is what I was supposed to do. It's so funny. I, so many people I know feel like they're not allowed to, they don't give themselves permission to call themselves the creative that they are. So they're not a writer. They're not an artist. They're not a painter. Unless like you're somehow getting paid, even if you do it every single day of your life and it's a deep passion, unless somebody else gives you permission you can't be that thing. That and is so true. That's so true. And I, I actually thought about that because when you, yeah, when I like, I almost, it, it's still hard for me to call myself an artist. It feels wrong. It feels pretentious. It feels like I'm not, yeah, yeah like I'm not supposed to call it, like that's assuming or like that I'm like good. So I never used to call it, like, I'd, or I'd sort of say like, oh, I'm, yeah, I'm artistic. I, 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 I do like, it I just, on the weekends yeah. and at night. <laughs> yeah. But I'm always very like, like like yeah. weird about it and yeah I feel the same way about writing I, even though I wrote every day of my life since I was four and my brain just functions that way where it's constantly yeah. writing a story it's like I could not call myself a writer and it was like at what point am I allowed to go yeah. like if I get published am I allowed to call myself a writer? Yeah. how like, many where times do you have to put pen to paper before you are like yeah. can be the thing that describes <laughs> what you're literally doing <laughs> exactly Exactly. <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny that way because it is. It it sounds there's something like 
that feels pretentious like I'm a writer I'm an artist it shouldn't it's just a description of something you do (laughs) yeah well hopefully someday I can be paid for it but (laughs) I do feel like a bit of an an asshole if I were to say like I'm a writer it's like people who say that you're just like oh god you're such a (laughs) jerk but it's true like but it's hard to to be paid is it's hard to figure out a way to get paid as an artist or writer it's hard to yeah that, yeah that to turn creativity into a lucrative thing without cheapening it somehow or like undermining your own love of the thing you know it's very hard to find that line to walk I think yeah or I mean one of the things that I actually found really a little bit discouraging and kind of disillusioning. So I've, I've actually like been involved in a lot of different areas of the art world by now. You know, I went to art school. I, my first job was at an art gallery. I moved to New York. I worked for a global art website company that did like appraisals and auction records. And it was a gallery database and all this stuff. And I was very immersed in this world, you know, and one of the things that was, it's very elitist. It's, it's a very gatekept industry. I mean, I, even me, like we didn't, we didn't even like grow up super wealthy or anything. You know, my dad was a pastor my mom was a nurse and then on disability, but because my dad was called to the church in Laguna beach, like, and you know, because his family had grown up there, like that's why we got to live there. And so I think, you know, I definitely benefited from proximity to that mm-hmm. access. Sure. But when I, when I got to New York, I mean, I, I noticed even a lot of people that I worked with at the company, like they, they, a lot of people come from family money. It can be really tough. And it's one of the things though, that I feel like is shifting now. And one of the ways that I'm grateful for the internet, I think the internet is democratizing it a bit. There's so many more ways. You don't have to depend on the galleries, on the writers, the critics. Like I, I never thought I could be an artist. Like I never really, you know, when I was younger, I love drawing. I love painting, but I never saw a way to get paid for, you know, like reach that, like, prof- I never saw myself being a professional artist. Cause it's like, how yeah. do you even do that and make money and like get connected? And um... yeah, unless you're Bob Ross on PBS, <laughs> like back right? in the day, how do you even, it's not like other mediums where with music or writing or photography, even the distribution for art mm-hmm. didn't exist until like, it's much easier now with, you can sell prints online yeah. and you could even yeah. sell a originals online in a way that you couldn't you didn't have access to that unless like you said you use a gallery and you can grow your own audience through Instagram now I mean that's that's huge it's been really inspiring again just for all the shittiness horribleness that comes out of the internet (laughs) there's some (laughs) definitely some positives and I think greater wider access to art and giving more people a chance to actually get a foot in here and get their artwork seen is is huge so that's a positive for sure Well, especially since you can kind of interact immediately with people who, and like, I I do feel like the algorithms are, they can be very detrimental sometimes keeping you very pinned into a specific kind of demographic, but it also allows people with very similar interests to find you. I don't know. I just feel like it draws like-minded people and it's probably similar with your art, the kind of art you do and the interest that you have draws like-minded people to you. And yeah, the internet can be a total cesspool, but (laughs) Sometimes yeah. it's really great. We have cultivated, I mean, I say like we, cause I, I feel like we have a lot of the same 
you just start seeing yeah. like so many like if I were to say the Nerf Herder Co like you know who that is like you know if I were to say Star Wars thrifting like silver it's like I feel like we're all kind of getting to know each other and um, yeah. it's it's really I feel like like attracts like for the most part mm-hmm. and yeah it's so it's so wonderful and yeah and that's so great for for artists because yeah to be able to just reach people who are passionate about the things that you're passionate about painting or doing or you know creating yeah. You said you went to art school then did you go to like university or like an art specific school like what kind of school did you go to? Yeah, no, I just, I went to Cal State Long Beach. It's so funny. Like when I graduated high school, how do people know what they want to do out of high school? I I have no idea. (laughs) I'm 36 and I still don't know what I'm doing with my life. I I look back and I think like, really, I was expected when I was 19 to like pick a major and figure out what I wanted to do, but I kind of- You're a baby child. You don't know what you're doing (laughs) at that age. (laughs) <laughs> 20 years later, I still don't know what the hell I'm doing. I yeah. never would have predicted this the last year. Um, but yeah, I went, I, I basically, I only applied to state schools. I also freaking lucked out though, because, okay, I'm a millennial. So I'm very aware of the student loan issue. But mm-hmm. when I went to school, like this California state had a great system and it was really, it was relatively affordable. It was like $900 a semester or something. So I just worked part time. Wow. Yeah, I was able to, like, I didn't have to take out a ton of loans. It very quickly started shifting. Like, this was like 2001, 2002. I'm aging myself. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, so I, I basically I was like, I don't know what I want to do. I don't want to fill out any essays. I don't want to spend. I really didn't want to spend them, but I didn't want to go into debt for $40,000. I just had no idea. And I was so yeah. indecisive. So I chose Cal State Long Beach, loved it, loved the school. Um, I was undeclared, but then I think I, I started, um, and then I chose studio art as a major. So I was, I did, I was actually like studio art, drawing, painting, like creating art was my mm-hmm. major. I think for the first, year, oh, I was undeclared the first year. Then I, tre- <laughs> then I went to studio art, um, which I am really glad, even though I did the same thing happen to me that, you know, has always happened where I just got burnt out on the classes and I didn't land in college. I mean, you have literally like six hour life drawing classes where you're looking at a nude model drawing this indeed for six hours. It was, it drove me crazy. Like I that's can't, a lot. I can't focus on anything for longer than an hour and a half before yeah. I have to like rest my brain. Yeah, I, I'm just, I was always one of those people, like, I'd rather go to class five times a week for a 45 minute class, than go twice a week for the longer ones. Mm-hmm. But some of the art classes, it's like, you just, you had to do a longer one, because you need to do a longer study. So but I, but I'm glad I, I am glad I did it. Because some of the things that I learned in college are things that are helping me right now with art I'm currently doing a lot of I still remember it's the littlest thing. And I don't know why this just sticks out because it just blew my mind and changed my painting. It was just such a little thing. But I remember my painting class, um, I was doing a still life and you, you know, you learn color theory in art class, like 101, which colors go together, contrast, all that. And I was doing some purple grapes and my teacher came over to me and was like, here you go, I'm going to show you super easy. And I was doing like the highlight on the grapes and I would think just, you just use white, right? White highlight. And he adds, he's like, so purple's complementary value is yellow. So he put the teeny tiniest smidge of yellow in that white and mixed it up. Like you couldn't even tell that it was yellow in there when you look at it. He brushes it on the grape and it was like that grape jumped off the canvas. Like Mm. the difference with that little bit of yellow and that it blew my mind. And it's again, something I still use 
today. So I'm really glad that I got the education I did. There are certain things that I wish I'd paid more attention to and that I would like to learn, like things like perspective. Uh, a lot of the technical, I, like I, I have to cheat a little bit and like hide, so like I'm not very good at drawing hands or something like that. There's a lot of things that I, you can tell where I kind of skipped assignments and just like... <laughs> Uh, well, maybe I you can tell, but I can't tell. <laughs> <laughs> well, cause you find, you find ways to, you know, get around things and I'm glad I did it. But then I, then I switched to, um, art history, um, because I just, like I said, I got a little burnt out on those long studio art classes and I just, I fell in love with art history and I fell in love with the Italian Renaissance. I also got an amazing opportunity, um, which again, Damn it. it. I almost like, I almost don't want to say this on a podcast because I feel like people are going to riot because college is so screwed up right now and it's so expensive. But because my tuition was so affordable, you know, and I said I was able to work part time, I did a study abroad program in Florence and wow. they had a study abroad Italy program where most of the time when you do one of those, they're super expensive because you're paying like Italian tuition and all this. We had a program, Cal State had a program where we paid the exact same tuition I did at Long Beach as I did in Italy. So oh the only thing I took out loans for, I'd take out about, you know, $15,000 in loans for like housing, just living for a year. But I was able to do that. And I doubt anything like that exists. And it's probably like $40,000, which, which is like, I'm sorry, I don't even know. Like, it's like that was like, <laughs> awesome thing that I got to do that's probably not possible anymore. <laughs> Well, I was so glad. And, and it was there that I, you know, I, even when I went there, I was, I was supposed to do studio art, but something clicked when I got to, again, like walk around Florence and actually be in the church where Michelangelo's, you know, David is and be, you know, and see the things in person. And I just, most of my life, like I've, I've always felt really stupid. Like I'm really bad at math. My, I have ADD, my memory sucks. I'm all over the place. But when it came to art, I felt smart. Like I, I could read these paintings, like people can read a book or an equation. And I, mm -hmm. like, I'll never forget one of my most challenging teachers, like doing a field trip with her. And she would ask the class, I'm like, oh, what do you see in this painter? What's the, and I looked at it and I was the only one that figured out the subject matter. And I was like, oh, that's the good Samaritan because you see here the da 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 and you see the light coming from here. And I, and she was very like, yes. Like, wow. and then I pointed out something she didn't notice. For a kid who's always like struggled with grades and has always felt stupid, like I had to take, I had to drop out of Cal State Long Beach and go to a community college for a year because I kept failing my math classes. <laughs> I kept having to get tutors and I failed them three times in a row. So to have this moment where the teacher was like, you're smart and, and I just got this, mm -hmm. it changed my life. Like that, that was a turning point. And I got A's and B's in my art classes because that's amazing. I loved it. <laughs> So well, kind of, it points hard. out, it really points out that how our American education system is structured, the liberal mm -hmm. arts education of where you have to learn everything makes yeah. you feel like a moron. Sometimes I'm the same yeah. way. I, it's funny because I love writing. I did fairly badly in all of my English classes. Really? I did excellent in all my math. And oh, now like while I'm learning math, I'm really good at it. And then two days later, when you ask me the question, it's like, if it's not right in front of me while I'm learning it, I don't remember. I don't remember yeah. at all, but language, especially writing. Cause I'm a little bit dyslexic, especially when I'm like speaking, my brain doesn't go at the same speed as my mouth. Sometimes I feel that <laughs> I feel, I do. That 
it's very exhausting, but like writing is where I can take time and clarify like what I'm trying to say. So it's really funny that in school, I felt like a moron when it came to like English and any kind of verbal or literary kind of background. And I got really good grades in science and math and I'm terrible at those in real life. (laughs) Yeah. I, I hope, I mean, I hope eventually, I I don't know. I haven't been in school in a long time, but that it should be looked at differently because everyone's different. Like standardized testing, I hated. Like so much oh pressure, gosh. like a timed Terrible. test. Like all I can think about, the, my, my ADD hyperfocus goes into that clock and all I can think about yeah. is the clock. And um, and yeah, and, and even with art classes too, I think the key to, to me is again, being able to paint the things that I'm passionate about. So it's hard because there's only, I don't want to paint still lifes, a million still lifes. I know you need to, again, you, there is a learning. There's something to be said for like, you learn that, you know, you got to be dedicated. But I think back to, to um, my piano, I took piano in high school and piano was a very similar thing where I just really struck because I didn't want to practice. I just wanted to sit down and play something. But I had a teacher that just gave up and stopped making me try and learn classical. She's like, you choose whatever you want and I will teach you. And as soon as that happened, I learned the theme to Titanic <laughs> to this day. My heart will go on is the only thing I can still play in the piano. I learned the Star Wars theme, the Simpsons theme, the Backstreet Boys, because I was 17. And all of a sudden, of I could memorize these piano pieces and play them because it was something I liked. And I don't think that that's looked at enough in school. So I yeah. just, I wonder if even earlier on, if if a class or something had maybe, been, I don't know, let me somehow adapt, like, instead of a still life, let me draw a plate of like, yeah, I don't know, or something from Star Wars. Like I probably would have. I think that that holds a lot of, I think that's a really valid point. I was, it's funny you're saying this because I was just having this thought the other day. I felt really stupid until I got to sixth grade and I had a different kind of teacher. Mm-hmm. And it was the first time she didn't listen to what other teachers had said about me or anything like that. She just let me be me. Yeah. And it was like the first time my brain was like, not under that constant pressure of like, conform, conform to the way school must be. And it was like the first time I felt, oh, I can just learn. And it like, it just, I really do think that the structure of regular quote unquote, regular education is not for every brain. (laughs) It definitely didn't work for my brain. I couldn't focus the amount of time that was required. And I was such a daydreamer that I really struggled to find any subject that interesting depending on what it was we were talking about. And so like when I finally got to college, it was the first time where professors don't care if you're there or not. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's up to you. Pick the class you want to take. Yeah. And if you don't come, I don't care. You're failing on your own, <laughs> you know? Right? Yeah. It was like when I first started to thrive really, and I loved art history. It was one of my like minors that I took. And it was the first time where it was like mixing history with visual because I'm a really visual person. That was so transformative for me. And like, how old are you? You're much older at that point. You know, you're like almost in your twenties and it's like, it took that long for me to really find and feel like, oh, I can, I can do this. I'm fine. Like my brain's okay. The way Uh, it is. (laughs) It's yeah. Primary school. I mean, high school, all of that. It is, it's, it's homogenous. It's, it's kind of just pumping you out to, you know, like and it's every, yeah, everything's the same. It, It doesn't really, I mean, even, even growing up again, like Laguna beach is a very 
artistic community. And I had that from my family and stuff, but I was convinced I was really stupid because I just, I'm not good at a lot of the benchmark or whatever. I couldn't reach the benchmarks that, sure. um, yeah, like I, I struggled a lot. Like I, I was actually diagnosed with ADD at like 13. My mom tried putting me on Ritalin, but I didn't like that. And I didn't like being singled out as having a learning disability and being called out in the middle of class every day to go take medication. So I rejected that and decided to do it on my own. It's just, that's why I think it's just so freeing now to be able to just, like, we're just living the way we want, being able to explore all these different creative passions, even just having this conversation, like it kind of it makes me, it reminds me that I really, this is something I want to do, try and help kids or like cultivate the art. I don't know, in in terms of kids right now who, you know, who are maybe feeling this way, if they still are feeling not, feeling stupid or feeling not appreciated, you know, just because we do still live in this society that kind of rewards one type of intelligence. And that's intelligence that serves capitalism and serves. Yes. When you were saying that like school is super homogenized, it was making me think I was like, well, so is the workforce. And it's just Mm -hmm. basically training you to get out of one desk and go to another desk and sit there. Oh my gosh. And like thinking about this now, like, look what happened to me. I was this quirky, weird, creative kid that freaking loved space wizards and aliens and, you know, drawing and art. I was such a weird kid. I was so creative though. Like, I mean, I was, I would make, you know, my, I would make elaborate animal hospitals for my stuffed animals in my room. I I mean, all kinds of things, but what did I do when I graduated college? I ended up in corporate. I ended up at, and then I ended up in advertising sales of all the things. I worked for Artnet, which was an art website. That's how I ended up because the art got me in and it was my passion that got me in there, but it was sales. I wasn't in an art job there. I was having meetings with brands like Mercedes Benz and Chanel and trying to get them to spend advertising dollars on our art website because people who can buy art can buy Chanel because like I said, and and that's the crossover demographic there, right? And then I ended up at Vanity Fair magazine and also in like advertising sales marketing. And I burnt out I, my soul. I was having panic attacks. I was in New York for six years and I, I broke down. I loved New York, but I do think like a lot of that was from denying so many parts of myself to conform and to fit in with what I thought this is the path. And, and I got to say, like, it's been hard that my identity is I'm an artist kind of unemployed. I work all these part-time jobs now and stuff. I loved telling people, Oh, I work at Vanity Fair. It really, because I felt like I was this single powered, high powered businesswoman living in New York. Like I had that title again, that in our society is one of those acceptable benchmarks, but I was starving my creative side. So yeah. It's funny because I'm, I'm in marketing right now. I'm finally, but it's (laughs) true. Like, no, no, it's true. It's a sucking industry called marketing. It is. It is. I always joke. It's where creative people go to die (laughs) because it's where you feel like you can be a little bit creative and you can kind of like still do graphic design and and eventually just sucks your soul right out of you. So, I mean, I work for myself now because again, I did the same thing. I went to film school. I studied photography and journalism and art history and film. And then oh, I got out of all school. Those and happy went, things. All those words yeah. make me so photography, art history, right? Oh my God. So I got to go to class every day and watch movies and analyze them and write oh scripts and couldn't get to work because I graduated during the recession. So I ended up working at a bookstore, which was actually yeah. great. And then I entered corporate work after that. And after, yeah. I don't know, I can't even tell you how long it wasn't very long. 
I basically had a breakdown and was like, I have to go out on my own and find a way to make the creative part of my brain more, more of what I do. And I'm still like fighting to get there. That's why I like running this blog and doing the podcast. That's how I'm making room in my life for that. But it's so hard. And again, it, it was exactly the same thing. I got promoted. I was the regional digital marketing specialist for all of Illinois, Michigan, Indiana. And it was just like, I'm exhausted. I'm yeah. tired. But like on paper, <laughs> you're like, you're doing all the things yeah. and it looks, yeah, you are the, like, that's the, the success story. It sucks your me. soul out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, and like, there's gotta be a balance. <laughs> this is a good transition then like how did you start to make star wars part of your regular art cycle (laughs) oh my gosh i mention her on every podcast she's like my patron saint (laughs) the force foodie (laughs) vanessa on instagram i think a lot of people follow her too she was one of the first people she she bought one of my uh, i did a of all the of all the ones (laughs) so funny the rise of skywalker piece that i did which is oh. really one of the most hated star wars movies but this is the motive that got me where that's actually really shocking now that i think about it that that's what that's what got me in with the star wars people was a rise of skywalker piece again try and condense as much but I, so i started making candle glass kind of in this about three years ago um, when I was in Seattle, it was, they looked very different than they did now. They were more, I was, I had kind of an art history theme. I was doing more collage. Yeah. I did one star Wars one during COVID during quarantine, you know, I was laid off from my event planning job, moved back home. Um, so I was living back home with my parents again. I was unemployed. It was COVID. Um, and I did a, I decided to just do a star Wars one for me, basically, because I didn't think I could sell that. Like I was trying to, again, this is like, I, I, when I started, I was, I was trying to think, how can I make my brand look like Paris and flowers and or I don't know. I, I was just, I guess the point I'm trying to get is I was trying to, again, do what I thought looked cool, chic, whatever. And I liked them and I loved, I loved, you know, what I was doing, but I I didn't think that I could sell a Star Wars one. At that point, I didn't have any of this connection. I didn't, I was, I was one of the only few people I knew that were obsessed with Star Wars as I am. You know, not that I think it's this little like niche thing that no one else knows about. I know everyone, you know, (laughs) Star Wars has a big following, but I just didn't have that. So um, I decided to paint this little Luke Vader one and but I just put it on my Etsy just for the heck of it and someone bought it so I slowly just kind of did a couple of them just and again it was just because I wanted to paint them and I loved Star Wars that's kind of what what kept me kept me going I'm I'm again with ADD I I could struggle to focus on a lot of things but when I'm passionate about something, when I'm interested in something, something grabs me, I'm unstoppable. So Star Wars is that thing. And then I did that piece uh, with Ray and Kylo um, on the, you know, the remains of the Death Star, that battle. Mm. And she was just so lovely. And she posted, she did a whole post about it. And she bought two more votives and did this whole post, shared it. She had, you know, a quite a big following. And all of a sudden I started getting all these little Star Wars people trickling in. And I was so happy because when I started getting followers with names like Star Wars thrifting and Kenobi this and, you know, Vader that, I was like, oh, these are my people. Like, oh my gosh. Like, oh, look, they're out there. you know. And it just started building. And, and I just kind of from there, it's like, once she posted that all of a sudden I actually had to scramble because I didn't have any 
I had, I didn't have any Star Wars ones to sell after that. So I actually had to like quickly try and like make a couple to put up. That was just like the biggest joy that I can remember in life of any recent life is just the fact that the thing that I just really, really wanted to do that I didn't think was what people would want it or would sell is what everyone gravitated, gravitated towards. Yeah, yeah. that's really beautiful. I think that's when we are our truest self, when we finally embrace that, that's when you're, you become like a magnet in the universe and you pull people to you and things and opportunities to you that are like really pure. This is like my love language. This is like these, this is the most amazing, like these are what I would want to paint and give myself as a gift. So the fact though, that I'm getting to make these for other people. And I feel like I understand that. And I like the reactions I've gotten from people, like the messages I've gotten about my votives or reactions when they opened them. I've never experienced anything like this. It's (laughs) It's, it's so amazing. You deserve it. You really do. And like, I don't so know if you magical. can see mine are back here all in a <laughs> yeah, row. I see them. <laughs> and anybody who comes in to my office, I'm like, do you see my Star Wars photos? <laughs> well, they are these beautiful, little, thoughtful, like detailed pieces of art that just, like you said, you're capturing these moments that people are it's so crazy because I'm one of these people like I bought the Luke and Vader votive I think was the first one I bought from you and that is my favorite moment (laughs) and like the fact that anything exists with that that's all it takes for me to be happy for a really long time (laughs) yes well it's because it's it's hard to describe to someone who's not a fan or not as passionate these characters are so loaded for us like a little votive with again like a Sokotano it's not just a cartoon character. I mean, this is like, like even just saying her name, I get this wash of, I think of the season seven of Clone Wars. Like I think of her reuniting with Re- in, with Rex and Rebels. Like, it, And I also just love that like candles, the whole idea of a candle is inherently kind of this, like, again, like a votive of, you know, they're used to honor people, yeah. to honor, you know, ones we love. Um, I it's love very the- spiritual and, and yeah. there's an energy yeah. to it. Yeah. Yeah again like devote I don't like you I don't want to compare it to like a religion but like a devotional and again there's mm-hmm. there's meaning behind it and I keep I'm I'm still trying to figure out like the best way to describe them I have a hard time describing them when you can't see them but I almost think of them they're they're kind of almost like glass dioramas too like they're three-dimensional yeah. like there's there's a story in them like they're almost three paintings in one. Like I'm painting something in the background. I'm painting something in the foreground. And then the light is its own form of art that's interacting. And all these things play together. And I'm, as I'm creating these, like I'm constantly thinking like, how's the light going to look? How's the shadows going to look? How are, how's this going to peek through? How's this going to highlight this figure? Can you, does the figure look as good in silhouette as it does, you know, in the light? And yeah, because some of it is fully opaque and some of it is, mm-hmm thin layers that doesn't let light all the way through and I just love that kind of detail it makes it come alive and this is like I've just kind of taught myself how to make these again like I feel weird saying this because it doesn't seem possible with how much art is out there I don't know if I can use this word but I almost feel like I invented something like I've never seen anything exactly like them I've seen similar things but I've not seen anything which made me worried at first because, you know, sometimes if something doesn't exist, it's because no one needs it or wants it. <laughs> so it's like, it. <laughs> I was doing these for a while and not, I mean, for three years, I barely sold anything, like nothing, but I, but I've kind of been just developing this whole little, little process. And yeah, they've just, 
they've turned out pretty magical. I'm like, now I'm like, dang, like I've been thinking, like, I want to paint one for myself. Like I want to do one that I'm not even going to sell, just that I want to, I want to display. Every now and then you got to just treat yourself. <laughs> I know, I'm like, one for me. I'm going to paint that, that Luke rescue, rescuing everyone from Jabba's sail barge on Tatooine. Oh my gosh, do it. I know that's when you and you and I both love the Lugan Jabba's barge. It's just still yeah. like such a classic, wonderful moment and shows Luke and like, it's my ultimate. favorite. I was actually watching Return of the Jedi last night because I thought I want to prepare and watch my favorite Star Wars movie before the Star Wars, uh, before this podcast. <laughs> and I decided it is my favorite scene, I think, in all of Star Wars. I think if like if I was really? stranded on a desert island and I could only have one YouTube clip of one Star Wars thing, it would be the Luke rescue scene from Jabba's barge. What Why would you, do you love it? That so was the question I want to ask you though too. I want to... If I could only bring one Star Wars scene on the desert, scene, oh. yeah, <laughs> put you on the spot. It has to be. It has to be the lightsaber battle from Empire Strikes Back. Oh, the cloud if, city. And if I could only take part of it, the part where they're out on the like scaffold right before, then like while Vader tells him that he's his father. That whole. Yes. that whole sequence <laughs> that the lighting the lighting in that and the stark uh contrast with the shadow their silhouettes yes. and the blues and the red smoke oh it's gorgeous yes i love that their that's a good one posture and like throughout the whole like that movie is so brilliant with the lighting it just i don't know if you know this about me but cinematography is like a huge thing for me i love it and the movie the empire strikes back cinematography is perfect it is gorgeous perfection and it is done so deliberately the way luke is always like half lit and half dark and the way their silhouettes are posed always in this like this contrast it's so deliberate it's like its own language and i am very passionate and Vader about it. <laughs> always in the dominant where where luke's always kind of on the offense in that scene yes. like it reminds me of kind of similar like ray and kylo's battle in force awakens yes Vader, at no point was Luke <clears throat> really like in charge of that fight. Like he's, no. he's struggling <laughs> and I love, yeah, that's a good, that's which a is good why one. it's so important when it flips in return of the Jedi. Yes. Yes. I was just going to say that. Yeah. Oh, that's another scene I want to add to my <laughs> repertoire. I've got to, got to do the throne room return of the Jedi. Oh yeah. I there's so many that. like at the top of the stairs. Yeah. They're sitting up there. Oh, yeah. There's so many great poses. Oh, with the oh. space in the background and that cool geometric shape of the, the yes. window. I want to ask you, why do you love the barge scene with <gasps> so much? <laughs> it's just, you know, I think it feels like when I was watching it last night, because I'll say like most of the times when I watch Star Wars movies nowadays, I always just kind of, it's more like I have them on in the background and I'm painting. It's rare that I just sit down and watch it. Yeah, same you know, for a million me. times, but it's nice to do once in a while because you just, you know, and give it its attention. And I think like this scene, it almost like it was like a precursor to the fight scenes we love now in like Marvel movies and stuff. There was something so slick about him up there with his little his little salute to <laughs> R2, the the music duh, duh, like the, uh, like if you're waiting, the tension building up, you know, he's got something planned and I just, I'm getting freaking pumped about it when I'm just talking about it. I will never, how old, however old I get him flipping and jumping off the thing and then flying back up off the diving board, off the plank. I mean, to like catch the lightsaber and then smash Boba Fett's 
Yes. <laughs> like, like again, that's like, that's me like watching the freaking like, you know, airport scene in, in Captain America Civil War or like, and like, it's just such a fun, cool, choreographed fight. And also what I love about Return of the Jedi in general and this scene and just all this in particular too, I realize is just having Star Wars for me, my favorite thing about Star Wars was it's the the chemistry and the banter between those main characters, Luke, Han, and Leia. And when they reunite in Jabba's palace, I love, like, I love Han being like, how are we doing? Same as always. Like, just <laughs> like really funny Han and Luke banter. And then throwing Lando in there. I mean, you got Boba Fett looking badass and then not looking so badass as he unceremoniously dying like a little bitch in the hole yeah it was it's just such at the end every time I watch that scene it just I can't believe it came out in the early 80s it gets me just as pumped as any modern fight scene it's just so fun and then also of course freaking Carrie Fisher getting her vengeance on and I just love her quote about that or something doesn't she have she has like some quote or something when she's like someone because you know obviously everyone's always asking her about the stupid you know the slave bikini and you know she says something like oh you know he made me wear that so I killed him or something or I got to murder him something <laughs> like that like she had some I'm not doing it justice but she had some very good like Carrie Fisher snark oh very Carrie that. Fisher <laughs> yeah it was a woman's job killing Jabba is a woman's yeah, job something like that <laughs> for sure it's just such a fun scene I love it I love it I love it too because it's the first time you see Luke after Empire where he gets his hand cut off and it ends very badly yes what a contrast yeah and he comes in and just owns the place like kicks everyone's ass and like it goes you think it's not going well when he gets gets captured but it's like all according to plan pretty much right like, yeah i love just han is like everyone's got delusions of grandeur yeah. he's been he's out of it for a little while <laughs> you know the other thing i realized that i loved so part of when i was watching i'm also you know working on my painting and i don't even need to look at the captions to speak like just when he was speaking hatties and i'm literally hearing you know, you're, you're my, you know, favorite kind of bounty hunt, like, you know, you're, yes. you're my favorite kind of scum or something like, you know, now, <laughs> but like, I just like know the dialogue so well. And I, I just, oh, it's my favorite. I love I mean, everything I in Jabba's palace. And you know, the other thing I've only been comfortable enough with myself to admit, I think I used to lie about this actually, because I was too ashamed. I'm going to put it out here though. I love the special edition musical number that they added into Jabba's Palace. I know it's controversial. And I honestly, I think I, like, I get why people hate it. It's so out of place. The CGI characters next to the grungy puppets looks weird, but it's catchy. And every time it comes on, Snoodles, I think is, is that her name? Yes. Jedi Rocks is the name of the song. Oh and my God, you know the name. Jedi Rocks. Yep. <laughs> so how did you get into Star Wars? Where did that start coming into your life? Oh, yeah. I I don't have a memory of like the first time I ever saw Star Wars. It kind of crept up on me because I think the first time I ever saw it was actually my dad's VHS recording of when A New Hope aired on TV in the 80s. So (laughs) the first time I saw Star Wars, their commercials, like 80s commercials in it, like I remember actually like old Levi's commercials and stuff. So 
so I don't think I, I didn't really get into it until I think it was like until the special editions came out. I'm almost like technically my technical original trilogy special editions is my time period, I guess. Yeah, mine too. Right. Cause you know, you got yeah. like the original, but we, you know, I was, I wasn't born yet. I didn't see them in theaters, but I saw the special editions and up until that point, actually, like, I actually remember I asking my dad like wait so which is the one like because like I remembered there was like a snow planet I knew there was like teddy bears but I didn't know what was in what movie like they were all kind of <laughs> like I'd seen it as I was a kid but I didn't really but I saw it in theaters with these special editions and it was game over like it was in a day I think I walked out of that theater and practically went next door and threw on a Star Wars shirt and a hat and got all the books and like I was just a fan from then on and this was like so this was like going into junior high so I wasn't like a kid kid I was like a 12 13 year old but yeah so I kind of like I went down this rabbit hole I was obsessed I would come home from school I would just watch Star Wars all the time I read all the legends books I read the Thrawn trilogy three times I was obsessed this is all I did it's really good so good like I I'm I'm kind of like bummed that I've lost a lot of my knowledge just through the years because there was a point when I was 13 or 14 I could have told you the name backstory origin of every freaking alien in that cantina scene like I knew everything I would read Star Wars trivia books for fun like yeah it was I mean Star Wars was it was an escape. I had severe, what I now know now is severe social anxiety. I did not have a lot of friends. I didn't know how to talk to people. I was super awkward. And Star Wars just, it just gave me an escape from all of that. And just, I just kind of lost myself in it. I, I still couldn't wrap my head around the fact that something that made me feel so isolated and weird when I was younger, that all but like in my 20s and 30s, and all of a sudden, like, people thought it was super cool that I was that into Star Wars. And it's like, all, now I've been able to connect, met all of these, all of these friends and all these people through it. When that shift started to happen, but like when nerd culture started to become more yeah. like acceptable and less isolating, but maybe yeah. it's because there's, it's actually not nerdy. It's just really cool. It's, it's just, it's such a fun world. I, it, Star Wars really, for someone again, like even to this day, like obviously I've, I've come out of my shell. I've, I'm more extroverted than I used to be but I still struggle you know I'm, I'm very comfortable like I'm comfortable right now in front of certain people but I, I struggle still in like I can get very introverted and anxious socially anxious and like I just don't know what to say I don't know how to make small talk but it's again one of the things I love about Star Wars is for one you meet another Star Wars fan like if I'm wearing a Star Wars shirt it's just this instant connection like I'm even at the grocery store stand or something and then I don't have to sit there how are you doing today? How's the weather? Oh my gosh, I love R2-D2. And all of a sudden yeah. we're just having this like, and even if someone's not a super fan, everyone knows what Star Wars is. So it's just, it's such a good conversation starter that just allows me something that's easy and fun and more interesting to talk about than the weather, the usual, the yeah. shit show that is life nowadays. Like I don't yeah. want to talk about COVID anymore. I don't want to talk about like, I just want to talk about space wizards. <laughs> Again, for me, like, you know, whenever I talk to Star Wars fans too, it's not even like we're talking about just Star Wars. It it's because it, it's a, their archetypes, their mythology. It is exploring our humanity, our values, our own stories. It's a starting off point to have more interesting conversations about morality, ethics, right or wrong, good and evil. Yeah. It's it's just a, a vessel 
for that. Yeah. You know, it's not, we're not just talking about, you know, those little space cartoons. Like it's, you know, this is modern <laughs> mythology and there's artistry to it. I wanted to say one last thing, because you'd asked me one of the questions about like suggesting to people who wanted to be an artist. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to answer that one because for one, it was so weird because when I first read it, I was like, how would I like, because I still feel like I need to ask other people for advice. It was weird to, but then I realized like, no, like I've actually been doing this for a while. It's just, I'm kind of at a weird turning point in my life where I've like, it's like a midlife crisis where I, I, I don't know. I still feel like a 20 year old, like, and I'm, I'm not though. Like I have experience now. Think. Anyways. And as someone who's just struggled so much again with ADHD, like I went 20 years, like I would almost never finish anything, never finish any artwork. I had such a hard time. I always thought like everyone just has it together and I can't. And I, you know, and the biggest difference, like this is the first time in my life I've ever started actually putting out work consistently, but I just, I'd get so hard on myself about that. It just, I don't know. Like, I just felt like I couldn't do it. I couldn't focus enough. So I don't know, but the key, so I guess what I learned, like, it's just literally just keep swimming, just keep making just forever and ever. Even if you don't think like when I started making these candle holders, they were cool. And I was doing them because it's what I liked, but this, like what I'm at now is what I wanted to be doing from the beginning. There was no way in hell I could have jumped to this. There was no way I could have done the paintings I'm doing now. I, it wouldn't happen. And if I hadn't forced myself to just, just keep building, even though I, I, Again, like I would sometimes sell these and be like, I'm sorry, like, which is such a terrible because people like would support me and buy, and I still think they're really beautiful, but I like, I'm so, I'm such a perfectionist that like any little creep, like if it didn't look pristine, like it belonged in a shelf, I didn't think it had value. It, again, it's this imposter syndrome, even though people were still buying it, but there was value in it and they were stepping stones and just keep going and another like a quote it was this quote was written in my day planner today but I just loved it so it does not matter how slowly you go as long as you do not stop from Confucius and again I've just I've always felt so slow and unfocused I have wanted to do something like this for so long and it took me years and years and years and years just keep going keep doing it and then the second thing I was going to say is just that I wish I'd known sooner is to start before you're ready because I also it took me so long to start an Instagram account because I wanted to, to start with a pristine grid of, you know, and have everything be perfect. And you just, just start just putting it out there and just know you're just going to grow and build and keep building from it. One more thing I wanted to mention, because this was also really inspiring. My grandma started writing poetry and doing watercolors at 85 years old. And she started busting out the most beautiful poetry any of us had ever written about her childhood and this wonderful, beautiful gift she gave us, 85. So that's amazing. no matter like what place you're You're, in, just you never know. I would have never in a million years thought I'd start doing this at almost 40, (laughs) start making Star Wars candles. So it's never too late. I think, wasn't it like C.S. Lewis who said something like that? You're, it's never too late to, to try a new adventure. You know, as long as you've got air in your lungs, you can do new things. Well, because you really do. And I think especially, I don't know if I, but I I do do think, especially with women sometimes, like, I don't know, like I feel, feel sometimes like there's like an ex, like my values and my youth and stuff. And I don't know, there's just. That's, we're taught that in all marketing, that women are only valuable if they're young and wrinkleless. Yeah. 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 And it's like, I, as you know, coming up on the age of 
coming to it's it's i've it's a it's been a really tough year a really tough transition the joy and purpose i get from these from this art and the connections i get from this is just it's made all the difference and i'm just so glad that i just kept going and i had literally never done that before for the 30 years prior it's mostly just all unfinished started things that I would just, once I got stuck, I'd throw them aside and never pick them up again and just could never push through. It's amazing. Well, and it's that, that whole thing of like expecting the same result from the same behavior. It's like, you have to change your behavior if you want a new result. And it's easy to say and hard to do. We tend to, if there's like a big decision or big major thing you want to try, we we're very good. Like we tend to assess all the risks first. Like if you were to move, well, these are the risks. I could be lonely. I could run out of money, I could do that. And we think of all the risks, but we don't consider the risks of not moving, of not taking those chances. This like kind of blew my mind of like just staying sedentary. We don't, we don't analyze like, well, if I don't do anything five years from now, I could still be unhappy, stuck in the da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. And I had like never thought of it that way. There yeah. are consequences for doing nothing too. So you might as well take the risks, try something new because you can also hurt yourself by doing nothing. All right. Do you want to answer some rapid fire questions? Let's do it. <laughs> okay. Oh, <I'm> scared. <laughs> no, no, they're fun. Okay. First question. What character would you bury? What? Wait, bury or marry? Mary, Mary. Oh gosh. I literally just thought you asked me which character do I want to bury, and I was like, "This got dark." No, we won't. (laughs) We wouldn't ask negative questions. Only things you like, not things (gasps) you would kill. It's like, ooh, Palm Krell. I don't know. Maybe Jar Jar. I don't know. Sorry, not Jar Jar. Silver. I'm sorry. I have friends of Jar Jar. Um, I'm just. Um. Oh, Mary, Luke, Luke Skywalker. I mean, it's just that's my yeah. Off the top with Luke. Luke was nice. my first crush. I can't. Yeah. It's Same. Be. Yeah. Same here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Are you a Jedi or a Sith? Ooh, Je- Jedi for sure. Okay. Which version of Obi-Wan do you like best? Oh, boy. Oh. You have to ask an Obi-Wan question since we're most things Kenobi. <laughs> oh, gosh. This is supposed to be rapid fire. Oh, okay. I'm going to say Rebels. I'm going to go with like the, maybe the unexpected. And I, cause I know, and maybe it's cheap cause we don't get much of him, but mm-hmm. what we do get of Obi-Wan in rebels is so profound and impactful and says so much. And anyone who has never heard, um, Oh my God, what's his name? The voice of Darth Maul, you know, I'm blanking. Oh, Sam, Sam Witwer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyone who's never heard him describe that scene, step by step go go look that up go look, oh the scene i'm talking about is the twin on twin sons episode of where yeah. he holds maul in his arms oh that's, oh that's that is like the epitome of obi-wan to me if you could wear one costume from star wars what would you wear oh well <laughs> should, I have, should i name the one i have hanging in my closet right now <laughs> i think i should because Ray. <laughs> I I love Ray. I love Ray and I loved her outfits and I have one hanging in my closet that I have not had the confidence to photograph myself in cosplay wearing. Okay, so which would you pick? What's your favorite? Original trilogy, prequel trilogy, sequel trilogy or animated shows? Ooh, 
I mean, original, I am an original trilogy girl. I don't know that anything will replace that. Although I will say the animated shows probably have the most impactful moments that make me cry and elicit the strongest emotions from me. Okay, we're almost done. What's your favorite Obi-Wan hairstyle? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. Oh, I mean, the beard, the beard, the Revenge (laughs) of the Sith Obi-Wan. That's Revenge of the Sith Obi-Wan is the Obi-Wan that I had wanted from the beginning that just beard. So so good. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I just got so happy just thinking about it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I like that answer. (laughs) Okay. If you could be any character in all of Star Wars, who would you want to be? Good questions. Um, Rapid fire, rapid fire. I mean, uh, okay. I mean, the one coming to my head. This one's really hard because there's three characters I'm saying, but I'm going to go with Ray again. I just nice. really loved Ray and I would want to be Ray because I feel like she's the most like me in terms of she has like a sensitivity and a sweetness to her. She doesn't have to be a stoic, yeah. badass Black Widow as much as I freaking love Black Widow. Like that's not <laughs> the kind of person I am. And Ray made me feel like I could be a superhero. All right. Last question. What special power would you want to have? Ooh, gosh. I I mean, of all the of all the Jedi powers, I think just the the way they can use their use the force to project their body, like jumps, like jumping over freaking ravines and jumping into spaceships and stuff. And yeah. I just I don't know. Like I always like fly, like the thought of like flying and stuff. And so I think that would be my favorite, I guess, of a Jedi power is just being able to kind of throw my body like that. <laughs> be useful in everyday life. Yeah. Right. I, I just I like climbing things and I like I don't know, to just be able to just whoop, pop right over something. I don't know. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us here. It was really nice to have this conversation. I hope you had fun. I definitely did. Yes. Thank you so much for having me on. I loved it. Yeah. It's been so nice getting to know you and just, I'm so, so I know we say all the time and I'm just, I'm so grateful for everybody in our little star Wars, Instagram, internet microcosm. Well, so um, real quick then, how can people find you? Where can they find you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Definitely Instagram, Jenny Marie studio and Jenny is spelled with an I E J E N N I E. Marie Studio. Instagram is where I post most of my like previews and announcements and stuff for votive drops. Great. And we'll definitely link to you in uh, the post related to this as well. So people can find you. Thank you so much. Thanks again to Jenny for being so generous with her time. For this week's listener question, let us know if you've ever purchased one of Jenny's votives. And if so, what did you buy and how did you like it? On last week's episode, we discussed Andor episode five and six. We asked our listeners what their thoughts were. I loved it, just in case you were wondering. And our friends over at Sisters Sabres Star Destroyers sent me this message on Instagram. While I loved both episodes five and six, there was one specific exchange in episode six that I had to immediately rewind and rewatch. Lieutenant Gorn comes in during the heist, and the large Imperial guy is shocked. He says that Gorn is a traitor and will be killed, 
and Gorn simply responds that he deserves worse for serving the Empire in Eldani. That moment also caught my attention. I want to know, what did Lieutenant Gorn do? We all know the Empire are evil bastards, so I, it definitely got my curiosity piqued. Thanks as always to our listeners for sending us their thoughts every week. Next week, we're going to discuss Andor Episode 7. With every new release, this show just gets better and better. And the need to screech about it into our microphones is overwhelming. So come on back for more Cassian, Mon Mothma, Marva, etc. Thank you so much for joining us here in the Most Things Kenobi podcast. We appreciate every single one of our patrons and are grateful for your support. If you'd like to support the podcast and become a patron as well, head over to the Most Things Kenobi Patreon. As always, you can follow us on Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast player. If you enjoy our podcast, feel free to rate us on Spotify and Apple. And if you need just one place to find all of these, head over to mostthingskenobi.com. So until next time, my friends, may the Force be with you, always. Always.